welcome back to the next episode of Lace Up and Listen. I'm your host, Amelia Uphill, aka The Uphill Runner, and as a mum to one-year-old Max and aspiring marathon runner, I'll be sharing insights about how to juggle mum duties while still finding time for running. Each week, I'll bring you a conversation with a different inspiring expert guest to help you maximise your training, whether you're a new mum returning to running postnatally or building up to running marathons and more. There'll be a new episode available every week to keep you company throughout your training or to relax with on a rest day. My guest for this episode is Amanda Brooks. Amanda has been a certified running coach since 2012 and is the author of Run to the Finish, the everyday runner's guide to avoiding injury, ignoring the clock and loving the run. We're going to be talking about low heart rate training and how slowing down may help you become a faster runner. We also discuss how this type of running would fit into a training plan. Hello, thank you so much for taking part. Absolutely glad to be here. Okay, let's just get started with the first question, uh, which is how did you first get interested in running? So for me, running was one of those things that was usually punishment in sports. So I did a lot of sports, um, but didn't really enjoy running until I got um, to my junior year of college. And some friends were going to do a road trip to do a half marathon. And I just really wanted to go on this road trip. So I decided that I needed to start running and lucky for me, um, I really enjoyed everything about that experience and just kind of kept going. How old were you when that, when you first did that? Uh, so I would have been 20, I think at the time, maybe, yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) It's been so long now. And what's the furthest you've ever run or the most, the most uh, memorable or the most interesting race or experience that you've had since, since that first half marathon? Um, so last year I did do an ultra. So I did a 50K, which I did all by myself. Um, as everyone knows, races were canceled. So it's something I had just kind of had on my like bucket list of things to do. And I had the time. So I just decided to train for it and, and did that last summer, which was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. I've heard of quite a few people doing virtual marathons, like the virtual London marathon last year. I know loads of people did, but I had never heard somebody doing an ultra all by themselves. That takes serious motivation and discipline. For me, it felt easier to go the ultra route than to try to do a marathon by myself. I think because with the marathon, I have expectations. So I've done it before. And so I would have had kind of on myself, self-imposed time pressure. Whereas with the ultra, it was like, I don't know, I've never run this far before. So I'm just going to go have a nice long run. (laughs) Yeah. And just go for it and see what happens, I guess. Yeah. Have you got a favorite marathon that you've run or a favorite marathon experience? Um, the Philadelphia marathon, I really liked that one a lot. It, I don't think it was my best time or anything, but it was just a good course, really great crowd. The temperatures are so good. Um, it was kind of set up in a way where even my husband borrowed someone's bike and was able to kind of like be at multiple spots on the course, which just made me really excited to see him. So I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. It makes a difference to have the support along the way, doesn't it? Definitely. I don't know how you manage that ultra on your own. Seriously, that's amazing. (laughs) 
But after having done that ultra, are there still any things on your bucket list that you think, I'd still really like to tick that off? Or I don't know, maybe it's an ultra with a crowd or with other <laughs> participants. I should probably try to do an ultra as an actual race and get the full experience. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, most of my things now are really just places in the world that I want to run. So that's probably one of my favorite things about running is just anytime we travel, how it really lets me experience a place. You see the places that you wouldn't see as a regular tourist. Yeah, and you see them differently because usually you see them early in the morning when the streets are still quiet or, you know, it's so different when you're not behind a car window and you can actually like see the little shops and you pay attention to like in Iceland as I was running and I was like, oh, I never noticed there's this rainbow painted on the ground that I didn't see when we were just kind of doing our tourist thing. Yeah, that's so nice to think that you spot all the little things perhaps that the, that the locals know about and no one else does. Yeah. Um, okay, are you happy to talk a little bit about low heart rate training now then? Um, because that's what I'm really interested in learning from you. And you're, I know you're a real expert in that, uh, in that field. Yeah, absolutely. How did you first come across it or start getting interested in that particular area? So back in 2009, I started really having basically some health issues that I couldn't identify, but it was like, okay, I'm a marathon runner who is so tired, I can't get out of bed. And like my hair was falling out and I would go to the doctor and they would just say, you're stressed out. And I would think, well, yes, I am stressed out. My hair is falling out. Um, but I was like, that's not what's going on. Um, so I, it took a long time of pushing and pushing and pushing to find the issue was that my body had stopped producing estrogen. And so the result of that is, of course, all kinds of things are off, but it also makes your cortisol, so your stress hormone, super high. And what does running do? Well, running can also just further increase that. And so it was kind of the first time that I stepped back and had to start learning about like easy runs versus hard runs. And that was one of the areas that really kickstarted me into just researching more about running. And I quickly started to learn that I was doing what most runners do, which is running in what we call the gray zone. So the run isn't actually easy and it's not actually hard. We're just, we think like easy as a pace versus how our body thinks easy feels. And so running in that gray zone, what happens is it's not enough stress to produce the result of say, you know, going out and doing intervals or a track workout. So that power kind of production. And it's not easy enough to give you the aerobic workout that you want on your easy days. So in that gray zone, it's just a workout that's creating stress. And for someone who already had cortisol that was a little bit high, which is Almost everyone I know now between work and the last year and everything else, people just have a lot of stress. Um, that type of running was making that worse. And so that leads into all kinds of different health issues. So that's where I initially got really interested in. I need to run. It makes me happy. It's part of my life. So how do I do this? in a way that isn't going to further, you know, compromise my body. And when I started low heart rate training, I was just 
amazed at how I could suddenly run again without just this constant, like, I'm so tired or this run just feels horrible. It just started to be really enjoyable again. Yeah, because I guess that's the point of it, isn't it, really? You're going out there because you're doing something that's good for your health, good for your body, something you enjoy. If it's a chore, then why are we still doing it? I'm glad to hear that that's, that's the reason that it helped running become fun again for you. Yeah, and I think you nailed it. We initially start out just kind of enjoying it. We don't really have any expectations of ourselves, but then after we've been doing it for a little while, we start to have this like, well, that is my easy pace. And if I run slower than that, this run wasn't worth my time. We get in this weird little mental competition with ourselves, And so suddenly we just start making all of our runs too hard. And then every time you think about going out for your next run, you're like, whew, that's going to be a lot of work. And so then you start like kind of skipping a run here or there. So yeah, really coming back to like, no, no, like this is supposed to be enjoyable is a very nice place to be. And what are the key benefits then of low heart rate training? So some of the big benefits are as endurance runners. So I really say this is geared towards endurance runners. Um, one of the things is we're teaching our body to utilize more fat for fuel. And during every workout that you do, you're always burning carbohydrates and fat. But when you're exercising at that lower heart rate, you're using more fat. And so what that means as an endurance runner is we're able to go longer without just needing to constantly be shoveling in food. So, you know, we keep getting like gut issues because we're taking in tons of gels. Well, you actually need less of them when your body knows how to use fat. So it really helps with that. It helps kind of prevent hitting the wall as we run longer. Um, helps with the cortisol, as I mentioned. So keeping our body just from being like overstressed and overtaxed all the time. It then really allows you when you do speed workouts to actually go a lot harder. And for most people, there's a pretty big injury reduction um, because it means we haven't been overusing our muscles kind of in the wrong ways. So a lot of that kind of comes together in a bunch of health benefits, running benefits, same thing with like the cortisol, you start sleeping better because you just aren't pushing your body so hard. Mm, yeah, anything that helps prevent injury is great in my books. I think that that's the one thing I really, really, really want to avoid and probably most runners want to avoid, of course. But when you first introduce this kind of technique to people that you're coaching, for example, do you have to... Are they surprised for you, that you ask them to suddenly slow it down or go slower, that they think maybe they won't improve if they're running slower? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely the mental side of it is hard, right? Because you're thinking about races and gold times, and then suddenly you're slowing down. So one of the things I always point out is if you look at elite runners even, we, there's a big what we like to call delta. So there is a gap between their easy pace and their race pace. So yes, they may be out there clicking off these crazy like five minute miles, but on their easy days, they may very well be running nine minutes. So that's drastically slower. And kind of getting people to just even understand that I think is helpful. So yes, we want there to be this big gap. And initially, if you have been training in that state where you're just always pushing a little bit too hard, 
you probably are going to have to slow down drastically. But for most people within a couple months of kind of switching over, they start to see their pace pick back up. And so the result now is you're running with less effort. So your body is literally telling you that based on heart rate, this is not as hard and yet you're running faster. So that's kind of the cool thing, right? If I can keep running faster and my body still thinks it's easier, then it's going to result in a better race day. And is there proper science behind this or is it just, uh, is there something that you can tell me? I know you've mentioned the cortisol. I don't know if people are interested in hearing the more sciencey bits. Sure. So it was developed by a guy named Phil Mahaffeytone. So I have taken pieces of what he does because I don't agree with everything, but he did do a bunch of research to kind of come up with the low heart rate formula He watched tons of runners, and then now I've kind of seen it with a lot of people that we work with. Um, And so it also really ends up following into the same sort of 80-20 model that Matt Fitzgerald talks a lot about, and that's really what a lot of elite runners and so us everyday runners need to do. We need to spend 80% of our time really in that easy zone, and I've just found that following heart rate for most people was the best way to get them to kind of let go of pace and actually tune into their body and actually run easy. I suppose your heart rate varies on different days. It's not necessarily that you have one easy pace and that's what you do every time. Um, So how can you kind of work out what your personal heart rate might be compared to perhaps your resting heart rate or your maximum heart rate? Is that I know you mentioned just then a formula. Is there some sort of way of figuring it out for yourself? Yeah, so the basic low heart rate formula is 180 minus your age. There's some other little things where you could add or subtract, but that's the basic formula. And so the number you come up with there is what we call your maximum heart rate for all of your low heart rate workouts. So the goal is to try and not go over that number. So for a lot of people, initially, that means on their easy days, they have to go back to run walk for a little bit. And Instead of feeling like that's a backward step, I always just tell people, start looking at that as this is a sign that you hadn't accurately built up your aerobic engine. So you had always just been pushing a little bit too hard. So we're going to build that aerobic engine so you can keep getting faster at that same heart rate. Mm, Yeah, it's so interesting to hear. Is there a time maybe that you can ever run too slowly or is that just not a thing? For the most part, no. The one thing I have found and really worked with people on is that I almost prefer it if they are kind of hitting that point where they feel like their run is just too slow, it's really messing up their gait, then I say start with can you walk three miles with each mile being a 15-minute pace. And I apologize because I don't know the kilometer conversion, but... um, So going for kind of that 15 minute per mile pace, if you can work up to power walking that and then transition into run walk, it usually feels a lot better and goes a lot smoother. Wow. So really taking it right back. And um, do you have to think about maybe the route you're taking as well? For example, if you're going up a hill or you've got you live in a very hilly area, would would that kind of mess around with your heart rate as well and make you have to go even slower? So it's one of the things where, yes, hills are going to make your heart rate go up. So it will often mean you need to slow down. But I 
super, super, super encourage the hills because they are building that leg strength. And so they tend to help you progress at low heart rate faster. They're just very frustrating at times. So the mental frustration, I promise, does pay off because you're building so much more like glute strength and all of that that's going to make you a faster runner. But yes, it will make you slow initially. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's just me, but anytime I get to a hill... I actually try and go up it faster because I just want it to be done. (laughs) I don't know if that's like, that's obviously completely the opposite of what you're saying to do. (laughs) But I just feel like I've just got to get this hill out of the way. Just go for it. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't slow down because it will take me however many minutes longer if I'm going slower. Do you have any techniques um, maybe of how you would go about running up a hill slowly? Um, so for a lot of people, they may end up walking up the hills initially. Um, but then after that, it's more just kind of thinking about your stride and stuff. So form becomes really good on the uphill. You're pulling your knees up in front of you, you're leaning. So I kind of say, can you just kind of maybe tap into that? Like start focusing on something else besides the hill. So, okay, my form is really good here. I'm just going to work on like a faster foot turnover. So that's the other mistake we go up hills. We try to kind of reach and like pull ourselves up the hill, um, which is harder and it's using the wrong muscles. So if we go with that shorter footstep, um, we can often run farther without our heart rate going up as much. Uh, so you actually end up taking more steps to get up the hill, but it keeps your heart rate lower. Okay. And if we're doing all this training, we're interested in really bringing that heart rate down. What would you say is the best um, piece of kit or best technology to use to measure that heart rate accurately? So a chest strap is always going to be the most accurate. Um, I have tested out a ton of running watches that have the wrist-based heart rate and The Polar Vantage V2 is the only one I have found to stay pretty darn consistently accurate, but it is a super expensive watch with features that a lot of folks just don't need, whereas a chest strap is a super cheap piece of gear. Um, So a chest strap will pair with most GPS watches if you have one already, or it will pair with apps on your phone. So if you don't even have a GPS watch and you just use some kind of app on your phone to track runs, a lot of times it will pair with that. So you don't even have to buy anything after that. But the chest strap is going to be the the gold standard. Cool. Is that something you'd have to get used to running with? Or does, it, does it feel strange to put it on to start with or...? Yeah, the big thing most people notice is you've got to remember to use maybe a little more body glide and that kind of stuff because it can cause chafing. Like you just think there's one more thing kind of rubbing on your skin and you need to get it on fairly tight. Um, But I think like any of the stuff we wear, you kind of get used to it. Yeah, because would it have to have, I'm assuming, direct contact with the skin to get your heart rate? So it'd have to be underneath your t-shirt or... Yep. So it's got to be right next to the skin. um, And yes, on fairly tight. Okay. And for someone who's maybe would like to get a chest strap in the future or has just got a a watch for now or a smartwatch or they haven't got maybe the funds to invest even in this technology, but they want to give it a try. Can you use perceived effort in any sort of similar way? Or how, how could you do it if you didn't know your heart rates? Would you still be able to do this kind of training? 
Yeah, so it's not as accurate, um, but we have um, my virtual run club where we talk a lot about low heart rate training to kind of help people with all their individual circumstances. And rate of perceived exertion is something that I love, um, especially if people are just feeling frustrated with low heart rate because they feel like they're going really slow, but it feels really easy. Um Switching to that even can be really useful as long as people are being honest with themselves, which is the only reason that sometimes heart rate is better, right? Because we're, we're telling ourselves that we're going easy, but in reality, we know we're not. We're looking at a pace on our watch and deciding if it's easy or not. Um, so one of the ways to make sure you're actually running easy enough would be if you had a friend with you, could you hold up your side of the conversation while you're running? Or if you're by yourself, could you kind of lightly sing a song? Um, you know, not assuming it's going to be like the best singing you've ever done, but just more <laughs> like, do you have enough breath available to not be gasping when you try to do that? Um, and those are just two like little tests that you can kind of just double check with yourself. Um, it also helps when you finish a run to get people instead of just writing down how far they went and how fast they went to kind of on a scale of one to 10 rate how easy to how hard did it feel. So then you're kind of checking in with yourself consistently and it helps you just get more aware of like, okay, yeah, that actually felt a little bit more like a six or a seven, even though it was supposed to be a four in terms of an easy day on my schedule. Okay, so where you said about um, being able to sing a song, for example, where would that fall on the scale of one to 10? Can you give an example of maybe what like a two or a four or an eight would feel like? Sure. So I always say, you know, one is sort of getting up off the couch. 10 is like a 30 second sprint cannot go any farther you're done um so an eight is kind of you know half marathon nine might be like that last mile um seven is where you want most of your marathon to feel like so you're pushing but it's something you know you need to do for a long time so three is hey i'm out for like a nice walk um so then four four, five-ish is where we're really getting into that, like, yes, this is an easy run. It's a pace that I feel like I can keep doing. And one of the things that people often find with low heart rate training or when they finally get good at doing easy runs is they are able to run more miles because their body feels better because it doesn't feel so darn hard. Um, and they're able to do their longer runs and finish without you're going to be sore, right? If we're marathon training, because we're pushing the body, but finishing and just not feeling completely wiped out, can't do anything the rest of the day. So you're saying that 80% of our training runs or thereabouts should be at maybe a five out of 10 maximum? Yes. Okay. And what would you recommend doing for those other 20%? What sort of things or how many sessions would that be in your week of training? Yeah, so for that 20%, it kind of depends on, you know, how much time you're spending training um, as to sort of what it equates to. For, for a lot of runners, it's, you know, one speed session and then their long run, especially in marathon training, when you've got 18, 20 miles on tap, might be part of that 20% because um, there's going to be a point in it that's pretty tough. Um, I love having people make their first intensity in running hill repeats. 
Um, and so this is where you get to run really fast up a hill the way you like to do it. <laughs> um, so hill repeats really, like I said, build that glute and leg strength in good running form. So there have even been a couple of studies that have shown people who just started adding hill repeats in consistently got a lot faster. So doing that and then starting to add in intervals, whether that might be like, 10 by one minute hard effort. Um, if you've done the hill repeats first, you're less likely to get injured when you start adding in a lot of that speed. Yeah, I don't know about, well, I can run up one one hill quite fast, get it out of the way. I don't know about repeating it however many times. <laughs> I think that's something I definitely still need to work on. And you did mention as well there where a long run, even if you're running at an easy pace, it sort of tips over into becoming harder because it's such a long run. Whereabouts would that mileage kind of tip over into being a run that's more stressful on your body? It's a little different for each runner um, and also just kind of how long you've been running. So like I'm at the point I've been running so many years that like a 13 mile long run to me is just sort of normal, not that big of a deal. I'm very used to that mileage. But one of my brand new runners, if they've never run more than 10, then yeah, three additional miles feels like a lot. Um, so, or even now I can add speed work. So I run some goal pace miles during my marathon long runs. Um, so it's a little different for each person. And one of the ways you can kind of just pay attention is you know, what's your fatigue level like during the week? How well are you sleeping? Um, so a good indicator for me is if we've been increasing either mileage or adding in some harder workouts and suddenly your sleep is not very good, we've probably pushed a little too far because it should be the opposite, right? Like, oh, I'm doing more. I'm exhausted. I should be sleeping really well. I would never have thought that that would be that indication. Yeah. And so that kind of goes back to that cortisol hormone that I talked about. So with your stress hormone, it should be highest in the morning and lowest at night. And that low point is what helps you fall asleep. And the high point is what helps you wake up and get your day started. But when we train too hard, then it just gets out of whack and out of rhythm. And then it's high at night. So that's when you're laying in bed and you're like, I'm so tired. And yet, I'm so alert. Um, if it's supposed to be highest in the morning then, or if it is rather highest in the morning, does that affect the time of day where running has the most benefit for you or doing a low heart rate run would have the most benefit or is it just about fitting it in where you can? I'm always about fitting it in where it works best for people. Um, and I've also just found different runners like different times of day. And so then they're just going to have a better run. Um, the one thing we do know is that if you can run consistently at the same time, your body actually gets used to that. And so what happens is it starts to prepare for your run before your run happens. Um, meaning like, yeah, your body literally starts kind of increasing certain hormones or it knows like it needs to loosen up a little bit, um, heart rate things. So your body will actually start to prepare for your run if it happens consistently at the same time. Wow, that is incredible. I honestly would never think that that was 
a thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, amazing. Thank you so much for all of that information that you've given, uh, so much detail about the, the heart rates and the, the science behind it and uh, the different levels of perceived exertion. I think that's really, really interesting and really useful. Where can people go if they want to find out more about low heart rate training or more about your blog, for example? Sure. So on Run to the Finish, I do have a number of articles about low heart rate training, um, but our virtual run club honestly is the best place um, just because I can answer so many detailed questions. I have training plans in there that are specifically designed for low heart rate. Um, and it's not just me. I actually have eight other running coaches there. So um, on Run to the Finish, if you just search virtual run club, you'll find it. Um, so that's a great way to just kind of get some support and also like the, is this normal? We will answer all that. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, um, for, yeah. For giving up your time to do this. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Whether you're a new mum thinking about starting your postpartum exercise journey or you're working your way through couch to 5k, if you've got a new post-baby PB or you're listening along on a gentle jog, share your experiences using the hashtag LaceUpAndListen to be in with a chance of featuring on next week's episode as our Lace Up and Listener of the Week. Maybe you've been inspired by Amanda to focus more on heart rate or effort and less on pace on your next run. This week's Lace Up and Listener is Rachel Whiting. After listening to last week's episode with Joe Wilkinson on a run, she's begun thinking more seriously about studying for her own coaching qualification. Go for it, Rachel! If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share and leave a review. If you have suggestions for potential topics or future guests, then I'd love to hear from you too. You can contact me on Instagram at the Uphill Runner or use the hashtag LaceUpAndListen. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. There'll be another episode available next week at the same time. If you can't wait that long, don't forget you can still download and listen to all the previous episodes, including from series one and two. Looking forward to running with you next time. <laughs>